number of weeks ago, I taught, and I've done this before, talking about what Isaiah sees, and he sees the angels encircling the throne of God, praising him continuously, and they still are. They still are. They won't stop. And I pray that it's the desire of our hearts that our lives will be faithful and not stop worshiping him. If you would, take your Bible and turn to Job chapter 13. Job chapter 13, and when you get to Job 13, you can go to verse 13. I will meet you there in just a few minutes. It's in the Pew Bible on page 587. Before I start, I uh, was encouraged. A number of you are reading through the book of Job, and I got one text earlier this week, and uh, the text was simply, Elihu is relentless. Now, Elihu, we pick up later in chapter 30s talking about that. And my reply back to this friend of mine was, I'm still struggling with Zophar. Zophar is friend number three. He's the focus of our scripture today. And we'll meet him a little bit here in Job chapter 13. But I would like to begin today, this is going to be a note-taking day for you. If you want to take notes, I want you to get ready. There are going to be some things today, some statements today that uh, I believe you're going to want to write down. Um, I'd like to begin today with a, a theological statement on the aseity of God. Aseity, let me spell it for you. It's A-S-E-I-T-Y, aseity of God. Aseity comes from the Latin words simply meaning from self. Aseity is an attribute of God. Sometimes it's called God's independence. Sometimes it's called God's self-existence. Independence, self-existence, from self, or in a theological term, the aseity of God. God's aseity or his independence is defined as follows. God does not need us or the rest of creation for anything, yet we and the rest of creation can glorify and bring glory and joy to his name. Did you guys pick that up? You see, Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25, and you're going, Jeff, you said Job, and I know we're getting there. Acts chapter 17, verse 24 and 25, Luke wrote this, he said, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life, breath to all things. Aseity. God is absolutely independent. God is absolutely self-sufficient. The aseity of God. Job, later when we get there in chapter 41, makes this statement. God makes this statement about himself. Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. This means that God's being has always been and will always be exactly what it is. You see, without creation, had the Bible never begun, had the words, in the beginning, God, not started, God would still be infinitely loving, infinitely just, 
eternal, omniscient, holy, and all of these other attributes. God is these things not because we say he is. He just is. Are. Which one? Is. Okay, good. You know, I can't get over this grammar thing. But I got lucky that time. But God is these things. That just sounds wrong to me. That's it's okay. You know, there are opponents of the aseity of God. That this attribute about God, they claim that if God is this independent and this self-sufficient, that your life cannot be meaningful. They're saying if God doesn't need us, then what value can we bring? Can I tell you that the answer is, can your life be valuable and meaningful and have purpose before God? The answer is yes. Yes, because God created you in his image. God created you and called you not just good, but very good. God created you, called you very good. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Although God did not have to create us in order for him to be worth more, he chose to. You are a total choice of God. He made you, he loves you, and he desires to walk daily with you. If you're taking these notes, Isaiah chapter 62, verses 3 through 5 are paraphrased by me like this. It says, God says, you will be a crown of glory in my hand, for the Lord delights in you and rejoices over you. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 tells us that God loves us so much that he created us on purpose, but he created us with purposes, with plans that were for our good and for his glory. You should understand and be thankful for the aseity of God because it's his aseity, his not needing us to be great that actually gives you your greatest potential because he made you on purpose, with a purpose, to be a joy and a glory and an honor before him. And I'll just tell you that right now, sometimes I need to know that God has a purpose for me. Don't you? You might be going, I don't know what God's purpose is for me. While I will walk with you and scripture will help you and the spirit's job is to lead you to determine what that specific purpose is. Here's the one thing. I will walk with you to help you find that purpose because it's there. And if today you're going, I don't know what my purpose is, turn to God. He knows what it is. He created you on purpose with that purpose in mind. And I pray that you'll do that. God created you lovingly and purposefully. So today we complete our sermons of Job's dialogues with his three friends. Make sure you didn't misunderstand me. We are not completing Job today. Remember, we started July the 30th, actually. 
But for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about all the scriptures with Eliphaz and Job, and then last week was all the scriptures with Bildad and Job, and today we cover all of the conversations between Zophar and Job. And in Zophar and Job's conversations, let me just give you an outline for your Bible. That way, when you go back and desire to read this later today or this week, you'll know what to do. Job chapter 11, Zophar's first statements to Job. Job chapter 12, 13, and 14 are Job's response to Zophar. Job chapter 20, Zophar's second statements. And in Job chapter 21, Job's second reply to Zophar. Zophar, unlike his other two friends, only speaks twice. Again, I encourage you to take time this week to read these chapters. You do not want to exit the book of Job without having read everything that Job has to offer. Now, you're going to find that this morning, I've, as in the prior weeks, I've only focused in on how the Lord's led me this time or that time. I've not even, I don't know that we can. God's Word is so deep and so thorough that I don't know that we can cover it fully. I just know that today we're going to cover what I believe the Lord has laid upon us to cover today. Now, we're getting to the stand and read part here in just a minute, but we're not there yet. I need to get you caught up on Zophar. Chapter 11, Zophar continues to speak, and he continues to support he and his two friends' perspective. And if I were to summarize Job 11, 1 through 6, it would be, Job, you just continue talking. Your words are empty, but as your friend, I must reply, you keep claiming to be pure and upright. You keep claiming to know God. And in verse 6, if you have your Bible open to chapter 13, you can go back to 11, 6, and I want you to see a couple of things. Job 11, 6 says this, Job, know that all you have faced. Now, we know what Job has faced. We've talked about it in great detail. His friend, I don't know that I want a friend like this, but his friend says to him in verse 6 of chapter 11, Job, know all that you faced is but a portion of what you deserve from God for your sin. Job says, his friend says, listen, all your loss of property, wealth, house, family, children, health, you deserve it all and so much more. And in verses 7 to 12, Zophar basically asks this one question. Job, do you really think that one can know God? Do you think that God is knowable? Church, let me just tell you before we even go, God wants you to know him. He's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you his word with the express purpose of you getting to know him. But look at this verse. Look at verse 12 with me. I'm in chapter 11 still. Look at this answer. He says, for an empty-headed man will be wise when a donkey's colt is born a man. Job says, listen, a man's got a better chance of being born from a donkey as a man than you have of truly knowing God. What an outlook. You're going, that's a funny statement. Yeah, but it's a sad perspective on what they believe. And in verses 13 to 19 of chapter 11, Zophar says, Job, you must turn to God. You must repent. 
And if you do, God will respond and he'll make all your challenges as what verse 16 says, as water that is passed by, water under the bridge. Job, he says in verse 20, those who do not turn to God will fall. Their fall will cause them to lose hope and lose their life. And so Job has to respond to this friend. Now, we're getting ready to stand and read here in just a minute, but we're not quite there yet. Job says in chapter 12, in the beginning, he says, I'm mocked by my friends. I've called upon God, and he's answered me. He says, I have a relationship with Yahweh. Remember, we've talked about how Job has a relationship with God, the others don't. I'm just, I am just, and I'm blameless before God. Remember, the Lord agrees that Job's not really lived in a way that makes this discipline. Verse 9 says, I know that the Lord has done all of this. He says, I'm not really sure why, but I do know that this all has come from God. And in verse 10, he said, in whose hand is life? Now, I want to encourage you to, if, I pray that you'll read all these. But I have marked here that I was going to read verses 13 to 25. I need us to know about God as Job explains it. So, we're not standing yet. But in uh, Job chapter 12, let me read verses 13 to 25. Just, you just watch it with me. It says, with him, talking about God, our wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. If he breaks the thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. With him are strength and prudence. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away plundered. He makes fools of the judges. He loosens the bonds of the kings. He binds their waist with a belt. He leads princes away plundered and overthrows the mighty. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. He uncovers deep things out of darkness and brings the shadow of death to light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Job says, let me just tell you, my God is over it all. And then we get to chapter 13, and Job says in verse 1, I've seen all of this. I know all this to be true. You see, Job has experienced many of the things that God has caused. And in verse 3, I want you to pick this right before we stand and read. He said, I desire to speak to the Almighty. I desire to reason with God. Job assumes that because he's in relationship with God, Yahweh, because that God has moved in his life, because he is blameless and upright, that he can just call for an audience with God. That Job can reason with God. That's Job's, I want to reason with God. Do you know why you want to reason with people? Think about it. If you've ever reasoned with someone, it's because you do not agree with their position. You think they are wrong, and you think that by speaking to them, you can cause them to change their mind. Isn't that why you reason with somebody? To try to help them come to a different result. And it's with all of that background 
that I ask you to stretch your legs. And we stand and read Job chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 13 to 21. Job chapter 13, picking up in verse 13, reads as follows. Hold your peace with me and let me speak. Then let come on me what may. Why do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. Listen carefully to my speech and to my declaration with your ears. See now, I have prepared my case. I know that I will be vindicated. Who is he who will contend with me? If now I hold my tongue, I perish. Only two things do not do to me. Then I will not hide myself from you. Withdraw your hand far from me, and let not the dread of you make me afraid. Now let's sit down and talk about this scripture. Keep your Bible open. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to take a note or two as we talk about this. Now notice in these verses 13 to 21 that Job is actually talking to two different people. In verses 13 to 19, Job is addressing Zophar or Zophar and the friends that are sitting there together. He says, I'm going to take my life in my own hands. I want to talk to God. He's already said that in verse 3. I'm going to come before God, and God and I, we're going to figure this out together. And in verse 15, he says, though he may slay me, which Job understands, this is not necessarily the wisest thing to do. I trust him. Job is expressing great faith and trust in God. Job is saying, okay, let's just take all of this before God. And if I'm in sin and come before him, I perish. But if I come before him and he allows me to stand, I'll be vindicated. There's an image of this. If you go back to Esther, if you were to think about Esther, remember Esther was trying to save the people, her Jewish people, and she had to appear before the king. And Mordecai, her uncle, said, you've got to appear before the king. And she says, but you can't just show up and talk to the king because unless he puts the scepter towards you and invites you in, you lose your life instead. Well, this is similar to that, except Esther's not going before King Artaxerxes. This is Job going, I want to stand before God. And he says, and the same could be true. I will either be allowed to stand before God or I will not be able to stand before God. And Job gets there. But he says in verse 16, but he will be my salvation. Verse 18, I prepared my case. If I do nothing, I perish. Job says, I'm done either way. He said, I just would just soon come before God and let's just bring this thing to a head. Let's just deal with this. And I told you, Job speaks to two sets of people. When you get to verse 20 and 21, notice the pronouns get capitalized. Job is shot. He stopped talking to his friends. And when you go into verse 20 and 21, Job is now speaking directly to God. Let me read those again. Only two things do not do to me, then I will not hide myself from you, capital Y-O-U, you. Withdraw your hand far from me and let not the dread of you make me afraid. Job is coming before God, talking to God, 
and he feels confident that if he can come before God, request an audience with God, but it's interesting here. Job says, but, but God, I need you to do me two favors. I need to come before you. You and I need to reason together because I got to help you understand my situation. But God, before I can stand before you, I need you to do two things for me. That's what he said, verse 20 and 21. He said, these two things I need you to do. He said, one, I need you to take your hand off me. Remember, Job's under all this stress and all this pressure and all this loss and all this grief. And Job says, God, if I'm going to stand before you, I need you to relent just a little bit. I need you to give me just temporary peace, if not forever peace. I need you to take it easy on me just a little bit. And then he goes on to say, look in verse 21. Withdraw your hand far from me, says, saying, God... Take it easy on me. And let not the dread of you make me afraid. In my notes, he says, this is what I just paraphrased. Lord, I know you're perfect and holy and righteous and majestic and just and all of these things. He said, but God, when I'm going to stand before you, I need you just to tone it down just a little bit. God, I can't stand before you if I stand before all of you. I need you to give me just a little bit. He's saying, Lord, can you just put your sunglasses on just a little bit? Remember Moses? He said, God, I want to see you. God said, no man sees me and lives, but here's what I'll do. I will pass by you. I will cover you in the cleft of the rock, and then you can see the backside of me as I depart. Right? Scriptural precedent here. And Job's going, you know what's interesting? This Job thing happened way before this Moses thing. Remember I've talked about the biblical chronological of all of these things? And so Job says, God, I need you to do two things. I'm really frustrated with you, and I want to reason with you, but in order for me to be able to stand before you, I need you, one, to take it easy on me just a little bit, and I need you to tone your majesty down just a little bit. And he says, Lord, verse, if you'll do these two things for me, I'll not hide my face from you. You know what I read this as? Job says, Lord, let's bargain. Right? Lord, if you, then I. That's a bargaining statement. You ever bargained with God? Have you ever said, God, if you, then I? Likely you have. My prayer life sometimes looks just like that. Lord, if you, then I. We like to bargain with God. And what we're saying, God, is I need you to do something different than what you're currently doing. Now, in verse 22, we didn't read this, but look at it just a second. It says, then call. After you've done these two things, Lord, after you have taken your hand off of me, take it easy just a little bit, after you've turned your majesty down so it doesn't just overwhelm me, verse 22, then call and I will answer. Or let me speak, and then you can respond to me. Job says, as soon as you get done doing these two things for me, Lord, let's have a conversation, and you can decide if you speak first or if I speak first. And I read this, and I read this, and I read this, and I don't know about you, but it seems to me that Mr. Blameless, 
Mr. Upright, Mr. Fearing God and Shunning Evil is overstepping his bounds just a little bit. You know, I overstepped my bounds when I was a teenager a couple of times. And my mom looked at me and go, who do you think you are? Somebody else ever found mama's vengeance that way? When you get reminded, and I wasn't eight. I was much older than that. She still looked at me and go, hold it. Let's understand the relationship here. I'm mama, your son. We get this hierarchy. We get this relationship activity that's going on. But have you ever attempted to bargain with God? I find myself all the time thinking incorrectly about God and coming before him in the exact wrong ways. Do you know that God does not need to enter into negotiations with Job? You know how we know this? The aseity of God. God says, I made you because I love you and I have a purpose for you, and you bring glory and honor and joy to me, but I need you to understand, I'm not negotiating with you. The aseity of God, it's an important thing for us to understand. A number of years ago, I had an employee, and things eroded in our relationship to such a point that I asked this employee to do something, and they threw down what they had in their hands, and they said, you do it yourself, big boy. Now, I'm not real hung up on titles lots of times. But big boy is not one that I accepted at that time. <laughs> and I understand that sometimes pressures get high. And I encourage this person to rethink their position. And they didn't. Big boy. And so in that moment, they lost their job. Now, I don't say that thinking I acted godly. Listen, I have emotions like everybody else does, and I don't always act godly, but I do understand that there is this hierarchy in relationships that we sometimes need to be aware of. And so I've spent hours reading about Job and Zophar this week, literally. And when I first read all this, I'm going, you go, Job. Go get him, Job. And then I thought as I read later on in the week, oh no, Job, don't go there, Job. Then it hit me really hard what Job was asking God to do. He was asking God to change. He was asking God to change. God, remove your hands from me. Stop doing what you're doing. Pull back your majesty for me, Lord. I need you to be just a little less you. Job's asking God to change. So I spoke about the aseity of God. That's a really good theological term for you to understand and us to learn. And I gave you lots of scripture. I'd like to talk to you about another attribute of God that I could not av avoid as I got into it. This next attribute of God is called God's immutability. 
Let me spell that just like I did a saity. I-M-M-U-T-A-B-I-L-T-Y. Immutability. Immutability is also called God's unchangeableness. God does not change. And so we have, if we believe in immutability, so let me just give you, immutability can be defined as follows. God is unchanging in his being, his perfection, his purposes, and his promises. He does act and feel emotions, and he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. Psalms 102, verses 25 and 27 says this, Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. God existed before the time of creation and will exist long after creation has been destroyed. God causes change, but he himself does not change. And you're going, Jeff, that seems harsh. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed. God is speaking of his own qualities in that section about uh, patience and long-suffering and mercy as but a few of his unchangeable characteristics. James chapter 1, verse 17 says this, reminds us that all good gifts come ultimately from God, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Since all good gifts come from God, we can be confident that only good gifts will come from him in the future because his character never changes. God's immutability also extends to his purposes. Psalms 33:11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Did I mention to you that God made you on purpose with a purpose? And it won't change. It won't change. He knows what he's seeking to do in and through your life, and he won't change that process. Once God has purposed something, it will come to pass. Let me share with you some scripture. Write this scripture down if you want to. Isaiah 46, verses 9 to 11 says this. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country, indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. God is unchanging in his promises. God will faithfully fulfill everything he has ever promised to do. God is unchanging. The scripture said in Isaiah 62, he rejoices in you. In Ephesians, he's grieved by us. Exodus, his wrath burns against his enemies. Psalm, he pities children. John 3:16, he loves with an everlasting love. We are his children. And we are to feel what he feels, live how he calls us to live. God's immutability, his unchangeableness 
also makes him infinite and personal. Read the statement. I, I took this straight from a theology book from Wayne Grudem. It says it this way, talking about God's immutability. In the teaching of the Bible, God is both infinite and personal. He is infinite in that he is not subject to any of the limitations of humanity or of creation in general. He is far greater than everything he has made, far greater than anything else that exists, but he is also personal. He interacts with us as a person, and we can relate to him. We can pray to him, worship him, obey him, love him, and he will speak to us, rejoice in us, and love us. And you're going, Jeff, that's really cool theology class, but what does that mean to me right this moment? Church, can I share with you that God being immutable, God not changing is vital to everything you believe. Imagine for a moment if God could change. Just think about it for a second. If God could change, he could change in his perfections or change in his being or in his purposes or his promises. If he could, then it's reasonable that every change God makes, we would then need to review to determine if it was a change for the good or a change for the bad, right? Change is always for the better or for the worse. So if God could change, every time there was a change, we'd have to determine was it good or bad. For if God could change for the better, being better than he is, if God could change for the better, then that meant that when you came to know him, he was not his best possible God. You capturing that? Therefore, how could you be sure that he is now yet the best possible God? You get that? That's a tough thing. But if God could change for the worse, what kind of God might he become. And we just shredded into theologically deep waters right there. How could we fully trust our lives to a God who might change? How could we commit to something that we cannot fully know will be unchanging? How can we have faith? How can we know that Jesus will return? How can we know that we will have eternal life. If God is not unchanging, then the whole basis of our faith begins to potentially fall apart. And our understanding of everything gets brought into question. It's because our faith and our hope and our knowledge all ultimately depend upon a person of God who is worthy of trust because he's absolutely and eternally unchanging in his being, his perfection, his purposes, and his promises. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Aren't you glad? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, never faints, nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make good? 
Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Church, our God does not change. You can trust our God. While Job continued to struggle, to trust, to wait, he requested an audience with God to ask God to change. And before we condemn Job too much, we may look like him every now and then. When we find our situation and our circumstances are beyond what we think, are beyond what we can understand, we tend to say, God, can you change? Instead of God, can you change me? I know that I have grieved God most likely and asked him to stop being in one way or another who he is. And I'm glad that God didn't respond to Job. I want you to recognize that Job says, God, I want an audience with you in chapter 13. God does not come. God does not say, okay, Job, here I am. Now, we'll get to where God jumps back into the book of Job soon. But I want you to notice that this is what sealed it for me. Job said, God, I need to meet with you, and I need you to tone down a couple of things so you and I can figure things out. And God just stayed silent. Remember I told you a couple of weeks ago how we are to act when God is silent? It's a great opportunity for us to know him better. Wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever you may be struggling with, whatever faith crisis you could be dealing with, you are loved by a God who is unchanging. You are loved by a God who is independent. You are precious and important and meaningful to God. And he knows everything that's going on in your life. And he has a purpose for it. And he can be trusted. Scripture tells us over and over again, he keeps his promises. Just seek to keep seeking him correctly. I am thankful that our God never changes, even when we ask him to. This floored me this week because I'm reading Job and I'm trying to figure out his friends and God says, no, I gave you this so you can learn more about me. That's what Job's for, especially learn more about God. 